This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. I am snugly under my blanket once again. Once again, yes. Recording from home continues. I am not under a blanket, and so I apologize for any cars in the background. It's one of those days where I don't have any blankets, actually, so if anyone wants to donate a blanket, let me know. All the blanket stores have been shut by this coronavirus crisis. That's right, that's right, and heading into winter, it's uh, problematic, so yeah, holler out if you've got a a spare blanket or two. <laughs> First, they uh, they shut down the cruise liners, then they shut down the airlines, and then they came for the blanket industry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Duck, goose, all those downs, they're out of here. So, um, <laughs> look out. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> duck, duck, goose. <laughs> so, Ren, it's that time of the month where we trawl through the many questions that have come through from our Ask Us Anything forum and and our Facebook page and pull out some that we think will be relevant for everyone to hear and we do a bit of an Ask Us Anything episode. So if you've just joined the show, welcome. This is uh, an episode that Alec and I do once a month and if you do have any questions, head to our our website. There's a forum there, but to be honest, the, the best place... No, no, no. Well, there is a forum there, but go to our discussion group. Yeah. Let's not even promote the forum. The best place to go is to our Facebook discussion group, Equity Mates discussion group, where it's absolutely buzzing at the moment and more often than not your question will be answered if you if you post it there so head there and let us know what your question is so ren we've probably got about i don't know five or six questions to get through today and then as always we've promised to pull out one of the questions of the month from our facebook page which we'll finish with so do you want to kick off or shall i No, I'll kick it off. So I'll ask you the first question. And the question is around investing in companies with different share prices. So is there a benefit in investing in companies with a smaller share price rather than a larger share price? So for example, if you had $1,000 to invest, would it be better to invest in 50 shares of a stock trading at $20 or five shares of a stock trading at $200? This is a good question. This is one of the questions that I think I've asked my dad way back when in my investing journey and I I couldn't work it out. Thankfully, I have been able to work it out, Ren. (laughs) (laughs) Short short answer is there is no difference in in terms of um, buying 50 at 20 or 
five at 200 because if you think it from a percentage term if you put in a thousand and your 50 shares go up 10 percent you're going to make a hundred bucks if you put in a thousand and your five shares go up 10 percent you're going to make a hundred bucks so from a percentages point of view there is no difference and and that's generally what you're after when you're investing in the stock market of course, there would be a difference to the amount of shares that you, you take ownership of, but that really shouldn't necessarily be a concern unless you're looking at things like dividend income and that sort of stuff later on in your investing journey. But short answer is no. So don't think that if a stock is $5, it is cheaper than a stock that is $200 and you're getting sort of better value for your money. That is absolutely not the way to look at it because it doesn't work like that. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. Anything to add, Ren? No, I think uh, short and sweet. People can get into highly technical reasons, but on the whole, it's you're buying a portion of a company and that's all that matters. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on to the next one. So thank you for that question. Ren, this one is for you. One of our listeners, among many others, has just started their investing journey, pretty excited about the market taking a bit of a tumble, looking to get in, but is concerned that they may have missed the boat on some of the cheaper prices on some of the stocks that they'd been watching because we have now seen a bit of a rise since the the bottom and they're wondering if they should jump in now even if the stocks have gone up or if this is just the beginning and we'll see further crashes what would your thoughts be yeah well i guess the first thing is we recently released an episode on was this market in a bull trap essentially has the market hit its bottom and recovered or does it will it fall again And I guess the big takeaway from that episode is we don't know. And if we did know, we would be a lot richer and probably a lot smarter as well. So (laughs) I think obviously this is an audio medium, but if people have been to our fledgling YouTube channel where we've started (laughs) doing some video content, uh, you'll see that my hairline is... uh, highly receding and receding it's not there Ren (laughs) (laughs) and uh you can have a you can have a very similar hairline to me if you stay up at night worrying about things like this (laughs) has the market bottomed out did I miss the boat does it have further to fall when is the perfect time to buy and I think it's not worth it it's just (laughs) obviously people make money picking bottoms and doing a bunch of technical analysis and you know trying to understand the mass psychology which is the movement of share prices and trying to nail the the right time to buy looking at resistance levels and all of that stuff but on the whole time in the market beats timing the market and especially in a time like this if you are averaging into the market as it falls and as it rises you will save yourself a lot of sleep you'll save yourself a lot of hairline and you'll get much the same result so i think to answer the first part of the question have you missed the boat maybe maybe not that's not the important question the the important question is are you averaging in around the boat i tried to extend that metaphor it didn't yeah, really i was work. like is he gonna get this or not <laughs> you had a rule of thumb which i thought was quite good you sort of said you were gonna put like 10 percent of your cash in if the market fell 10 percent, and then 20 if it fell 20 percent, and so on and so forth mm. And I think that, I mean, that means you'd have 100% of your cash in when the market fell 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think have a rule of thumb. But the main thing is if you buy when the market's fallen 40% and it falls 60% and then recovers back to where it was before, 
you've still done very well mm. and i think that's that's the main thing yeah to your point ren it's not worth the worry because it, you know when you start your investing journey you're going to make mistakes and your first investment is not necessarily going to be one that you make money on anyway out of your first 10 stocks that you choose you might only have sort of three or four big winners so don't necessarily worry about it too much i think our biggest piece of advice would be to just get started and and get in there so you don't want to end up with like ren with uh massaging your your head at night with no hair (laughs) (laughs) you do ashley ashley martin don't you and you're looking into that in your time (laughs) i'm the before actor for ashley and martin (laughs) you could be the after one with your hair plugs (laughs) (laughs) i think just to add to this investing is one of these things where it pays to be lazy like it literally pays to be lazy this is Um, an interesting call and and that's something that really suits my personality. Um, <laughs> but I think one of my best traits as an investor is my ability to not do anything. And, and I think that's something that I think everyone can learn from. You see like what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are doing at the moment, even though they've got $130 billion of cash and they just issued more bonds in Japan and in Europe, they raise more money. They've got all this cash. They're just sitting on it. Mm. And so just having patience, having the ability to not do anything is just as important as having the ability to do Absolutely. something. Absolutely. And so I think if you if you just take a breath, if you're patient, and then you have a plan about what you're going to do if the market falls, I think you're in a good position. And then you don't have to worry about you know perfectly timing the bottom or anything like that. Just average in small bits at a time through the downturn, I think would be the best way to approach it. And it's definitely, I mean, if I had more cash, it would be the way I was approaching it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, Ren. I think the biggest learning for me, this this downturn has been around patience. And we, we know over the last few episodes, I've spoken about jumping in a little too quickly, but that, that was my plan going in. You know, as I said, 10% I'll jump in kind of thing, but... The more I'm reading about what some of the experts in our community have been doing is some of them still haven't even pulled the trigger on their large amount of cash that they have sitting there because they've been through this before and they have a plan to come out of this and and they know that they have a few key sort of metrics they look for for then deploying their cash. So despite the drop and the subsequent rally, they are not worried about missing the boat so if the experts are still holding back a little, then I wouldn't be too concerned at this stage. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, nice one. So next question, and this one's for you. And you're approaching that time of your life. I this joke was going to come. <laughs> uh, I'm too predictable. <laughs> After after three years, it's all, uh, it's all recycled material. Just, we need something new. Yeah. <laughs> you making jokes about my hairline, me making jokes about your stage of life. What's the question? The listener has just had a kid and they're wondering how they buy shares for their kids. Great question. Love the fact that uh, this is front of mind when it comes to raising your kids. It would be front of mind, front of your mind, wouldn't it, these days? <laughs> yeah, what, raising raising kids or investing in stocks? Yeah, raising kids. A <laughs> uh, little way off, friend, a little way off. So, yes, you, you can invest on behalf of your kids. So, you do need to be over 18 years old to open a trading account and, and act on your own behalf. However, you can open an account in the name of an adult who will act as a trustee until... The child turns 18 and then once they do turn 18, the shares can be transferred into an account in their name, which is exactly what happened to me and my sister when we were started out investing. Um, obviously, we were younger than 18 and then when we hit 18, dad got them into our name as soon as possible because I think he was sick of paying tax or there were some sort of tax implications that he wanted to get rid of, so... I thought it was just sick of yeah, you. Yeah, most likely as well. It was his farewell <laughs> present when he kicked us out the front door. No, no. Short answer is you, you can do it in the form of a, a trust account, act on their behalf and when they turn 18, shoot it across to them in their own account and let them do their thing. The one thing with the trust is there's uh, potential tax implications. Yep. I mean, everything that we say is general advice and not specific and you should always get financial advice. But for this in particular, speak to a tax professional because I'm not close enough to the tax rules around trusts, but there are a bunch of rules that you need to factor in. Nice. Okay, so moving on to the next one. This question is around bonds, Ren. Two parts to this. The first one is around understanding the price drop. So this listener has bonds in his super fund and he has seen that the price of the bond has dropped 20% even though it's paying a yield of 4% and he would like to know why that would be the case. So there's a few answers to this. I might let you take this one and then when you're done, the second part, completely unrelated, but he would like to know how we define circle of competence. So let's start yeah. with the bond question. Yeah, okay. So we were talking about this before we started recording and there's, I guess it probably is worth starting with uh, how bonds are priced. And so you see bonds priced in terms of their yield. This bond was issued at a 4% yield, which means if it was issued at a, a value of $100 per bond, then it was paying uh, 4% a year, so $4 a year. And so the way bond prices move is that they're priced in terms of their yield. And if uh, yield goes up, that means the price has gone down because the percentage it pays off its par value is fixed. So the percentage it pays, you know, if it's issued at 4%, it's always going to issue that $4 a year in interest essentially. But if the, if the price of the bond moves down, down that means that four dollars is worth a greater percentage and so the yield the percentage goes up 
to put that basically can am i right in saying you use the example of a hundred dollars and it was paying four percent so four dollars a year and when you say the price goes down you mean that one hundred dollars might go to 95 yep therefore you're buying in at $95 but still receiving that... $4. For $4 a year. Yeah. Now, how's your maths in your head? What's that as a yield? Oh, mate, you re- you've really put me under the pressure here. <laughs> so, that it's like... So, that... Yeah. So, that... It would be like 4.2%. So, you would see the bond price. You would say the, the yield has risen from 4% to 4.2%, 4.3%, whatever it is. And talking about the yield going up means the price has gone down. And so we weren't actually sure the way the questioner had asked this question if they were talking about the face value, the par value of the bond or the yield. So we thought we'd just talk about it both ways. So if the yield has gone up and the bond price has fallen, that means investors are willing to pay less for that bond, which really with bonds means investors are more worried about the risk of that bond not being paid back. Because if you think about a bond, what it is, it's the company giving an IOU, it's the company raising debt. And in this example, they say, give us money as debt, we'll pay you 4% a year. And then at the end of the term, we'll give you your full amount back. And so if investors get worried that the company won't be able to pay that bond back, then the par value of the bond drops and the yield increases because there's more risk. So investors need a higher return. If your yield is going up and the par value is dropping, that's the main reason why. On the flip side, if the yield has dropped, that means investors are willing to accept a lower rate of return and they're more confident that the bond is going to be paid back in full. And what, we, what we've seen recently is that the yields have dropped on a lot of the safe bonds. So I think the, like the Australian government bond, US government bond, and that's because some investors are fleeing to safety. And it's also because the central banks are buying bonds and they're price insensitive buyers. So really, yeah, that's the thing. It's all, about, it's all about risk and all about the risk of getting paid back. You can get into the next step, which is then, you know, bonds are priced relative to other options for investments. And so if interest rates fall, then bond yields normally fall as well because investing is all relative. You're looking for the best relative return that you can get compared to all other investment options available. I think that sort of answers the question generally. Without knowing the specific bond the questioner was talking about, not really sure. I mean, you know, potentially he owned bonds in virgin although they probably have dropped more than 20 percent or you know carnival cruise line if you own their bonds although again probably more than 20 percent so yeah it, it really depends and like you know what's the what's your company's credit rating like has the coronavirus eroded the company's credit rating from you know investment grade to junk grade or there's so many factors that could be at play but yeah in a general sense think about it bond price movements as a measure of risk and then i guess as a measure of what else is available in the market and what return the market needs to take on a a given level of risk for a given company or organization or country nice so interesting time for bonds especially as you know you mentioned the virgin one there and some that's where this risk side really comes into it um i don't think a lot of people would have anticipated that virgin would 
end up how they have and there's been implications for the bondholders. Let's put a pin in Virgin because we'll get to that a bit later with another question. The second part of this question was about how do you guys define circle of competence and the questioner asked because my stock of the year pick which I never I never do very well uh he was calling out that I didn't explain some of the technology correct way (laughs) bastard (laughs) I'll admit it it definitely was in my circle of competence in the sense that I could have understood it but it wasn't in my circle of competence in the sense that I didn't really do enough research I didn't do the requisite research to be able to explain it which is probably why i keep losing this stock of the year competition (laughs) so do you want to give some thoughts on circle of competence yeah i mean it's a great question something that i haven't really given deep thought to i think for me it's almost like a subconscious thing when i think about it (laughs) to your point ren it's a lot of stocks that i've chosen especially on mastermind and and uh, stock of the year have very much <laughs> fallen within my circle of competence. Yeah, you're a bit of a one-trick <laughs> Retail, and that's pretty obvious because I, I work in retail and have a lot of exposure to it. And I very much understand a lot of the ins and outs that impact the industry. And, and obviously, by, na- by virtue of doing this podcast, very much understand the financial industry and, and whatnot. But when it comes to things like... Uh, I guess, engineering and blockchain and those sorts of things. I wouldn't say that they are within my circle of competence, but with a level of, I guess, dedication to sit down and understand, they they could fall within it. I would define it as industries that I've had either direct exposure to or exposure to over a long period of time, I would say fall in my circle of competence. Otherwise, it's going to require some time and effort for me to sit down and understand, you know, more of the basics about what drives the industry and what drives, you know, cost and whatnot within the business. I would probably approach it a little bit differently to you. Well, actually, let's start with circle of competence is completely subjective. Like, yeah, if that's if that's how you define it, that you need to have like direct exposure to the industry, then that is a completely fair way to to think about it. It just creates a pretty tight circle of stocks, although you've done pretty well in that tight circle. So um, <laughs> <laughs> full credit. For me, it's just about do I understand the key business drivers? And, and those really in a general sense are, do I understand how the company makes money and you know, like what it's selling, how it's selling it, who it's selling it to, all that stuff. Do I understand its key costs? Do I understand how that revenue line translates to its profit line, where those costs are, why they're incurring them, what their options are to reduce costs, like you know, the, the basic stuff around you know, the, the running of the business. And then do I understand the industry? Do I understand who their competitors are, what they're doing. And, you know, this Atomos example is a, is a good one where I don't know much about the video industry and I really chose it because it had some interesting financials, but I didn't understand the industry well enough to actually invest in the company. You know, it's a technology that I haven't used. And so in that sense, I guess this is an example of where I, I understand how it makes money. I don't understand all of its costs, but I just don't understand like the, the technology side of that business, like whose video processors are the best, who's up and coming, who's disrupting the industry, stuff like that. And so, yeah, fair call from the listener, probably outside of my circle of competence. But, you know, in saying that, there's plenty of companies where I haven't had direct exposure to, you know, the business. But, you know, I would still feel confident that if I spent the time and did the work, I would understand the business well enough to 
be able to make an investment. And, you know, like, I don't know why my mind goes here, but, you know, I've never worked for Starbucks, but I'm pretty confident both of us could count that well and truly within our circle of competence. There's a bunch of companies that I haven't worked for directly or worked with, but I still would be able to understand them as a business. And I think for me, that's how I define my circle of competence. Okay, so Bryce, we are going into a speed round because uh, <laughs> we're recording this. We both have somewhere we need to be. So I'm going to ask these questions very quickly. You're just going to fire off answers. Okay. All right, so the first one is someone has just started listening to a number of financial podcasts, including ours, and they're wondering what episode they should start with. Start with get started investing if you haven't already, then either start from the start because you've got time on your hands at the moment if you're working from home and smash through all 200 plus episodes. If you're still stuck with that, I would go to our website and we have made playlists for all of our expert investor episodes, which I would start with. And if you have a look through your feed at the moment, we have tagged all of our basics episodes as well as EM chat. So I would use the tags in your iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts as a guide to what sort of genre you want to listen to next <laughs> too long next question people are enjoying twitter and they think it's a good source of finance news what are some accounts that you would suggest following i would follow at jesse felder at rj montgomery at abron investor at owen rask meb faber Preston Pish and Raul GMI will put all of those in the show notes for you. Um, all but the last two have been on the podcast. The second last one is Bryce's Bitcoin man crush. Yes. And <laughs> the only other one I would add to that is at Equity Mates. Absolutely. How could I forget? <laughs> the last question, and this has been the biggest topic of discussion in our Facebook discussion group is around Virgin and there's been a lot of comments asking, well, they were asking, would you invest in Virgin, but not so much anymore. And now the question is, would you invest in Qantas? So obviously Virgin have gone into voluntary administration and you know, figuring out what they're going to do if they're going to remain a business going forward. So 25 words or less, thoughts on the Australian airline industry? Stay away at the moment, watch from, watch from a distance <laughs> and see what happens. Understand what it means to go into voluntary administration and the implications and also keep tabs on what happens as a result and the restructuring that goes on. But for me, steer clear for the moment and uh, let that one ride out. And I do hope that yeah. they do get back up and running because a monopoly in the airline industry in Australia is not good news. Ren, 25 words or less. I don't think an airline monopoly in the long term is that likely. I think yeah. if Virgin failed, someone would enter against Qantas, be it probably an international competitor, who knows. But I would say not interested in airline stocks per se, but I, I actually think somewhere if you're interested in the airline industry was a lot of the airports got really beaten down. Like at one stage, Sydney Airport was down like 40% and Auckland Airport was down a fair bit as well. And they trade on the ASX and I think the New Zealand Stock Exchange as well. And they're basically just giant toll roads. Like if you want to fly into Sydney, you're coming into Sydney Airport. Same with Auckland. I imagine they only have one airport there. Even when Sydney gets a second airport, you're still a giant toll road as an airport and they're not going anywhere. So 
For me, if I was going to invest in the airline industry, I would definitely be looking at the only bridge into town rather than the trucks that drive across it. The toll roads of the sky. Nice, Ren. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, I hope we've been able to answer some of our listener questions this month. As we said, if you do have any over the next month, head to our discussion group and you can engage in conversation there. Uh, also, if you feel like you want to shoot us an email, feel free to do so as well. Equitymates.com is where you can head for all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, Ren, we'll leave it there. Always good to chat and I'll see you on our YouTube channel. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equitymates Investing Podcast, a production of Equitymates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equitymates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances or goals. The host of Equitymates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. 